This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We learned this past week that most Canadians plan to return to pre-pandemic holiday traditions, workplace parties, visiting friends, and hosting holiday dinners. Interestingly, though, a firm majority, 6 in 10, say they will only be spending time with those who are double vaccinated against COVID-19. When the Zoomer squad joined Fight Back on Monday, I spoke with them about the results, as well as the newly announced plans to allow everyone 50 and older to get a third shot COVID booster starting this coming Monday. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. And Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. He calls it good news that eligibility is being widened for third shots. Yeah, ahead of holiday gatherings and ahead of the worrisome new variant that's sprung up as uh to make everyone that much more worried about celebrating a safe holiday season. So it's a good news development, and I'm just wondering whether everyone will rush to it like they did their first and second vaccine. I think uh, there's a little bit of vaccine fatigue in there. Um, people think they're covered with the first two, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what the uptake levels are. Bill, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, I agree with Peter. It certainly will be interesting to see what the uptake is. We hope that it is is good. You know, that's part of our demographic down to the age of 50, not just the older part. And, we, and you know, we know that all the health studies show that actually the risks and health conditions of people in that uh, uh, 45 to 60 year age age group in many cases is worse than the older, uh, uh, the older Canadians. So people over 50 really do need to, to look at it, consider getting it how can you lose and with the news of increased uh, cases uh, now uh, we hope that people will flock to the location easiest for them and get the uh, booster to make sure they're protected bill we're speaking with you from nova scotia have you received your booster yet no, but my private appointment for next week, a week today. Oh, great. I will be, uh, right after talking to you, I get mine. Oh, that's great news. David, your thoughts on the third shot going 50 and older a week from today? I think that the rational move is to get everything you can get and don't try to relate it to the news about Omicron and higher case rates. I think you have to say that every dose of protection that I can get, regardless of how serious or mild or widespread the new cases are. It's all, in my mind, anyway, it's almost become two separate topics. Uh, I'm not eligible for a booster. I think probably similar to Bill, I don't know, I have one more week to go till I have the, the right number of days after I receive my second shot till I get the booster, and I certainly will get it the day I become uh, eligible. And I think that's a sane, rational, protective measure that every single person should follow. 
And then whether that really protects you, partly protects you, somewhat protects you, whether Omicron is serious or mild, I don't think you can get drawn into that vortex. I think you've got to do what you can to protect yourself and um, follow the news almost like a separate topic. So it sounds like, Peter, for those who are vaccinated, it'll be back to a pre-pandemic gathering at Christmas time. Well, you know, I found the one uh, stat about Christmas parties a little bit puzzling. I I know, um, you know, uh, where I work, we're not having one. And um, I I would assume a lot of companies would be shy or sort of, uh, you know, not not really willing just put it off until next year you know so like until the, the coast is clear and and i i found that strange that the christmas parties were were returning to normal pre-pandemic levels it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen in my own experience peter mugridge senior editor at zoomer magazine david kravitz chief membership officer at carp and vice president at zoomer media and bill van gorder chief operating and chief policy officer at carp a new vision of aging fight backs monday zoomer squad you're listening to the best of fight back on zoomer radio i'm jane brown it was also monday we learned that the medical officer of health for women Windsor Essex is reimposing public health restrictions because of a disproportionate burden of COVID cases in that region. I spoke with Dr. Peter Uni, scientific director of the COVID-19 advisory table about this, but was first joined by epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly at Ryerson University to talk about what scientists knew to that point about the COVID-19 Omicron variant. Well, okay, Jane, very briefly, we've got a situation where it's still too early to say anything with definitively, but observations and uh, educated uh, estimates of this are saying that it appears that we might not be looking at a very severe set of illness. Mind you, that could be because the people who've got it so far in a younger age group, and we don't know what it's going to be like when it spreads to the older people, but that's good news, possibly good news. The other thing, it doesn't seem to be as severe, or in fact, uh, we don't know how much it evades the the, uh, immunity that we've built up over the last uh, number of months. Mm -hmm. So luckily, hopefully, this is simply a a variant that spreads more effectively. the other two things, we're going to have to wait for the, uh, for the research to be done on that. Remember, those, those three things are really important. What, what determines a, a dominant strain is not how, how lethal it is or how much it evades the, uh, the vaccine so much as it just how, how rapidly does it spread, how effectively does it spread. And this thing does seem to be able to spread much more effectively. Could you explain for us, Dr. Sly, what vaccine researchers are doing right now to see how strong the variant, the Omicron variant, is against the co-vaccines that we have now. Yes, these are called neutralization studies. And what's, what's happening right now, and there's certainly University of Witwatersrand in uh, South Africa is deeply involved in this, and several others around the world. They will develop a virus very quickly that's a new, the innocent virus, but it does have genetically changed some of the particular spike protein from the coronavirus. Obviously, this can't do any damage, but at least it can study. Then you, then you swamp this 
particular virus with different forms of antibodies that we've been building up over the last year or so to see just how much it escapes the action, the neutralizing effect of the antibodies. And that stuff should be coming in with hopeful early results in the next week and a half. Ah, okay, that was my next question. So you expect official word in the next 10 days? I expect some early preprint results coming along, but then, of course, they'll have to be peer-reviewed and uh, chewed up a bit, and then there'll be a publication. But this thing, as you know, has been publishing, uh, we've been publishing very effectively around the world, and I think uh, everything's been speeded up with this pandemic, everything. Dr. Uni is the Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and a regular contributor here on Fight Back. Dr. Uni, welcome again. Thanks for having me again. Let's talk about Windsor-Essex. What is going on there? Oh, look, it's one of the uh, areas and just need to have a look, you know, go to Public Health Ontario website and go to the maps there, have a look. There are some areas in the province that really struggle. And, you know, the area around Windsor Essex is one of those area around Algoma, for instance, as well. And it's really just clustered geographically in the province. Not everybody struggles. So good news for once. That hasn't been always the case in the past. GTA and Ottawa look okay, but uh, Winter Essex needs some challenges to be resolved. So, for instance, the city of Toronto had 139 cases reported today. What would that be when you compare with what's happening in Windsor-Essex? When you go to our dashboard, you find rates by public health unit. I'm about to update it uh, for today. And when you look at that, you know, Toronto right now is around, what is it, roughly 40 per 1 million inhabitants per day. And Windsor-Essex is at 160 180 even, per 1 million inhabitants per day. Algoma, much worse, is at 280. So that's what what shows you right now. The challenges are more in places that weren't particularly accustomed to having big outbreaks such as Algoma or uh, Windsor-Essex who had explosive outbreaks in the past. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, and before him, epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly in the School of Public Health at Ryerson University. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, how travel is being affected by the new Omicron variant. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We learned this past week Dominic Barton has decided to step down as Canada's ambassador to China. Barton has resigned effective December 31st because he says the core mission of what he took on when he was appointed in September of 2019 is done. That mission was to secure the release of Canadians Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, which happened three months ago, and to reestablish communication channels and a formal relationship with China. Barton also says his intention was never to become a career diplomat. Moving forward, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is urging Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to do just that, appoint a career diplomat rather than a crony, 
his words. On Tuesday, Libby was joined by Fight Back Strategy Panel to discuss Charles Souza, former Ontario Finance Minister, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road. Well, I'm sure it didn't go over well. I'm not sure the Prime Minister likes to have anybody dictate to him who he should be appointing in, in, uh, in varying spots. And and I'm sure that uh, the same was when, when Stephen Harper was Prime Minister and the opposition would say to him, you know, make sure that your appointments are, are nonpartisan and are in a certain sort of way. But I do think, though, under Stephen Harper, he did try to normalize uh, the process of appointments. Libby, when it, come, when it comes to diplomats and others where, you know, setting up a committee, and I think, I think the Prime Minister uh, Trudeau sort of certainly adopted that early on, and, and he did that with the Senate as well. So he tried to make sure that it took, he took the partisanship away from, from some of these appointments. But the China appointment, the China ambassador appointment is a particularly sensitive one. And, you know, the current uh, uh, ambassador who's resigning was obviously a crony, a, a friend, uh, uh, supporters of the prime minister, but he also had a lot of talent and certainly had some diplomatic chops, if you will, that, that probably made him into a, a pretty successful ambassador to, to China, given the fact that he was credited for releasing the two Michaels. But, you know, I do think that Aaron O'Toole's point, though, is to say, look, this relationship with China is very sensitive. You need somebody who actually knows diplomacy and has some level of diplomatic skills and connections uh, that can actually sort of navigate some of the some of the uh, you know the, the, the dangers that is with China. So I think his point was well made. I'm not sure the prime minister will follow it, but I think it's uh, it's something that he should take uh, you know should take to heart. Karen, is Canada kind of behind the eight ball again when it comes to China? I think there's no question we look weak when it comes to China because even our allies don't want us to be at the table when they're talking about how to deal with the aggression from China because they see us as the weak link, and we are, because we don't have a strategy for engaging with China. So, you know, to the extent that uh, Aaron O'Toole said we need to have someone who is, you know, more of a professional diplomat in the position of Ambassador China, you know, is really what he's saying is that we need a strategy for dealing with China, because right now we've got complete paralysis, and to your point, haven't made a decision in which the rest of the world came, I say the rest of the world, you know, the UK, the US, Australia, said, no, Huawei can't be in our 5G network. We still can't make a decision on that, and it's been years. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact that the two Michaels were held hostage, I think, speaks to the fact that we actually, we're not even a middle power anymore, because China felt quite at ease picking up two of our citizens um, and holding them hostage for two years. Well, and you know, even the way that it's playing out for um, Canada Goose in China, how they've like, basically shut down that company in China by uh, you know, a couple tweets. And so it, it is urgent that Canada realize that our status, our international status is on the decline, and that unless we take some strategic forward-thinking moves and actions, we are further at risk of being alienated. Charles Sousa, I mean, I think Karen has it right saying paralysis. So the two Michaels are out. You know, why haven't we made a decision on Huawei? And, and what about our stand on the Olympics. I mean, there are people who say what the Biden government is doing is probably not that effective either. Yeah, you know, this thing's been a a long time in the making. I mean, the relations between China and Canada have been ongoing since Pierre Trudeau started to reignite it, and then it slowly became more difficult because there's human rights issues and a bunch of other difficulties. And to Karen's point, and to John's point, we haven't been very effective 
because we haven't been seen. We seem to be sucking and blowing at the same time when it comes <laughs> yeah. to China. So mm-hmm. at home, we make a big stink about the human rights violations, but then when we're meeting diplomacy with Chinese, we're saying, hey, we want to do business with you, we want to help. And politics and sport, politics and entertainment, you know, they don't mix, but the point is, it's politics and money. Charles Souza, former Ontario finance minister, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road. Fight Back's Tuesday strategy panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. New travel rules and restrictions intended to keep the COVID-19 Omicron variant out of Canada are in effect, and they are confusing and unfair, according to many. Not to mention that some of the implementation has been glitchy at best. Ashley Nunes is Director for Competition Policy at the R Street Institute and a Research Fellow at Harvard Law School. And Dr. Prabhat Jha is an epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. They joined Libby on Tuesday for a discussion on travel testing, not long after new modeling was revealed showing daily COVID case counts driven by the Delta variant could increase to 3,000. Well, I think we knew that uh, the Delta variant is causing uh, still increases, and we know that it's driven very much by the unvaccinated populations. Canada's done well overall. Uh, but we still have important pockets, particularly in people age 50 or over who have not got the vaccine or the full doses of the, the vaccines. And it's in those populations that end up in, in intensive care or in hospitals. So I think the main strategy has to continue to really try to expand vaccination to those populations. And uh, we've got to try to, I, I think there's some reasonable limits uh, that they might re uh, the public health authorities might uh, reimpose on limiting the number of people who can crowd indoors, particularly as we come up to Christmas time. Uh, so I, I think those things will be needed, but we have no choice really except to uh, stick with those strategies. Our testing strategy has been a real disappointment, and I'm dis- and I, I do continue to think that that's still an area where we could do a lot more. Ashley Nunes, uh, you know, you are, I guess, planning to come back to Toronto shortly? Well, I was just in Toronto, and, uh, you know, as, I've, as I think I argued in my piece, the, the, the policy that has been uh, unveiled by, the, by Ottawa I mean, just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, you know, the goal of testing is to detect traces of the virus, and the ability of a test to do that depends on how much viral load you actually have. All else being equal, the amount of virus you carry increases over time because you, you, know, you, you effectively increase the, the level of infection. Under the current entry requirements into Canada, you need to show a negative PCR test to enter the country. If you are infected, that test will show a negative result if you got tested too close to the time that you were infected. For example, if today I walk in to get a PCR test and I get infected along the way, my PCR test is going to show 
a negative result. Yeah, but you're going to have to, the new rules, you're going to, unless you're coming from the States, which you aren't, you're going to have to take another test either at the airport or they'll give you a test to take home and you're going to have to isolate until you get the result of that test. What, what, what do you think of that rule? And that will do very little to change the outcome. Because if I get the test today, and I test negative, and I have been infected today, and I fly to Canada tomorrow, and I take the test upon arrival, there is a very high probability I will still test negative, because the viral load has not had enough time to sort of reach the levels required to yield a positive result. Dr. Ja, do you agree with that? Oh, I think it's complicated. Uh, What we know is that we have to try to emphasize vaccination. That's the most important goal. So among vaccinated travelers, even if they've been exposed and infected, their viral load will be certainly lower. So that means the testing strategies and all the things that we've thought about probably don't work as well. Dr. Nunes is right that it's more effective to test at what's called exit from quarantine versus at entry. And I think you have to be sensible about what we know about the policies uh, or sensible about how little we know about the science behind the policies. So I personally think that testing within 24 hours of departure from coming into Canada for flights is reasonable. Epidemiologist Dr. Prabhat Jha, faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and Ashley Nunes, director for competition policy at the R Street Institute and a research fellow at Harvard Law School. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Nick in Markham phoned with frustration about the stance the United States has taken against China. We talk about human rights, the Chinese abusing uh, certain groups in their nation. What about how many countries the United States has bombed since 2001? It's like, what, 15? How many murders in the States every day? And you talk about human rights in China. China's surrounded by U.S. bases in Guam, in Hawaii, all over the place, Australia, And you squawk about the Chinese. Well, you made them what they are. You're the ones who wanted all these free trade deals and gave them the technology and the know-how on how to build things. David in Toronto called when COVID-19 advisory table scientific director Dr. Peter Uni was with us to ask why we are not using rapid testing the way they are in the United Kingdom. I know in the U.K., They are very much promoting asymptomatic testing by the government, providing to households free lateral flow tests. They're also free at the pharmacy. And the government's encouraging people to test on a regular basis. For example, in Scotland, they're encouraging you to test twice a 
twice a week. I'm wondering why we're so different here in Ontario yeah. and oh. whether we look at best practices around the world on a, on a regular basis, because I assume the UK decision is based on science, not politics. David's question prompted a revealing response from Dr. Uni, who hinted that a plan would be announced this past Wednesday to roll out more rapid tests in Ontario. Ian in London phoned about an issue he discovered when booking his third shot. I booked my booster shot this morning through the London Health Network, and there seems to be an error on the application. It's asking for date of birth. There's no way it wants date of birth. The only thing that came up was December calendar with today's date highlighted. So I clicked on that and it accepted it. But today's date certainly isn't my date of birth. So Ah. if people are having trouble, I don't know if it's London specific or if this is the government website they're using, but... That alone could uh, stymie people from getting through and getting vaccinated. Well, so I just thought I'd mention. As we informed Ian, best to go to the Ontario site first at ontario.ca slash COVID-19 to start the booking process. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Daryl in Toronto, who phoned about the seven years of traffic closures we've been told to expect for the building of the Ontario subway line. I just wanted to throw into the mix of this conversation. I found a card a little while ago going through some papers. I think the card was from Mike Cole about 10 years ago talking about the Eglinton LRT. And I'm pretty sure it said on there that it would be up and running by 2016. (laughs) I don't know if I'd get too hung up on this seven-year number. Once you put it into metric, it, it could be anything. Um, and I'm just, uh, I thought you, your people might be able to do a little research and figure out the last few projects, uh, like the one going up to Vaughn and that, and how the never in the time frame that uh, they say, and it goes years and years over. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight back the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin eacock and zeev hadi with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.